what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You've probably gotten to a point where you've heard that phrase so much that you know how it's going to end when I start to say it. The focus of this series is to continue to develop 2020 vision and seeing God for who he really is. Our world has created images of God that have distorted who he really is. And we live in the midst of cultures and societies where many times, even not even realizing, we begin to adopt ideas about God that cause us to think thoughts about him and to have doubts and questions or false assumptions about God that distort our vision of him and that cause us to live in ways that bind us. And all the while, God is desiring for us to see him clearly through his word for who he is. And what is it Jesus says? You know the truth and the truth does what? It sets you free. And so this series, Real God, Real God is, a, is a series in which we've talked about who God is. Lord, help us to see you for who you are and the attributes of you clearly displayed and revealed in Scripture are something we want to latch on to so that in seeing you clearly, I am able to respond to you in the ways that you always designed for me to respond to you. We've looked at things like goodness, sovereignty, holiness, wisdom. Because he's good, he wants the very best for us. Because he's sovereign, he's totally in control. Because he is holy, he is unlike everything else. Because he is wise, his decisions are always perfect. But I would tell you in the message today... Uh, if you were to put it in a little wrapper, and the name on the wrapper was the justice of God, there would be a little sticker in the corner. It would be a, in bright yellow, and it would say something like this, warning, this message might be hazardous to your health. We've talked about attributes of God, but the one that we're going to sit on today together requires us to think at a level of clarity that is in common for most of us. It requires us to have a sense of sobriety, of seriousness, a sense of what is at stake if we're really going to hear from God. Because this is such an emotionally charged issue that we all, all of us, think, have dealt with, have experienced, and have, no doubt, deep within the recesses of our heart and our soul, uh, issues with why this is the way it is. And I would encourage you that this would be your prayer. Lord, I am a human being. And like all human beings, I have become very good at denial. I have learned how to fool myself. I have learned how to fool other people. I have learned to play all kinds of games. I need you to take the spiritual wax out of my ears, to take any calluses that are on my heart. I need you to help me to hear clearly and to see accurately. As I survey, as I look at the landscape of life, there are two questions that I find that disturb not only believers, followers of Jesus, but obviously unbelievers alike. Today, we could all go to the mall, or I could put this new GoPro equipment we have on us, and I could go to the mall, and you could watch as I went different places. Do people even go to the mall anymore? <laughs> When's the last time you've been to the mall? A week, two weeks, years, right? I don't think we ever go to the mall anymore. Maybe that's a bad train of, that's, maybe that's a bad illustration. Anywhere you go, mall, park, church, believers, Christians, t Christian leaders, uh, absolute pagans, there are two questions that everybody struggles with. 
The first one is, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody here not ask that question in your heart? So I thought. I was just thinking in my own personal life. This is a question that obviously has arisen. Just from personal experiences. I basically have, have grown up through my life without a grandfather. All right? And I look at you guys with your grandparents. And there's a part of my heart that is like, oh, and I missed it. Kind of hurt. Because there's something about grandparents that is just like awesome, right? One of the reasons my mom's, I've shared that story before. He was in California. We didn't even know he really existed. Didn't know who he was. But on my dad's side, my, my, my grandpa, Papa, is what we called him, died when I was four. I still remember that day because... Uh, we were done with the funeral, done with the dinner, and we were going to my mamaw's house as a family, right? And there was lots of flowers, correct? And so as a four-year-old kid, I was wanting to be helpful, and I, um, I was carrying in a vase uh, to the house. I tripped, shattered the vase. It went into all these different glass pieces, and one of those pieces went clear in here, right here. You know, like this piece of skin, it pierced way down in. And I ended up in the emergency room. And I had glass lodged in there that they needed to take out. And I still remember this. I remember laying on that table, looking down through the emergency room, screaming and yelling. The whole place could hear me. This has become quite a story in our family. And I'm yelling things like, oh, God. You know, I'm praying as loud. I'm just a four-year-old. And I was so desperate that two grown men could not hold me down for the doctor to pull that glass out. And they had to put me in what they call a papoose. They had to restrain me. I still remember that as a four-year-old. But my grandpa, my papa, was a, an unbelievable man. I mean, only eternity will reveal the influence of his life. And I no doubt would have benefited from him in my life in unbelievable ways. And yet at the age of 60 years old, he dies. And I will tell you that not only me, but the rest of my family has that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did you take this man? Or why did this happen in his life when not only was he just a great person, great father, grandfather, but he was seeing people come to the kingdom through the influence of his life in hundreds and thousands. Why? I was thinking about um, growing up in Iowa and, and this friend I had, a good friend, two brothers and I, we were inseparable. And Jeffrey graduated on a Sunday, I remember, and a week later, he drowns, his whole life ahead of him, all this potential, all this, and I remember sitting in the same auditorium that he graduated in, and as a 16-year-old trying to process, why in the world does this happen? And I don't doubt if I grabbed a microphone and just started down this row, and this row, and this row. I'm not unique in my stories. Every one of us have had instances or illustrations in our life where ultimately the question all of us could ask is, why do bad things happen to good people? The second question to me is actually one that's more disconcerting. Why do good things happen to bad people? Right? If the one thing is, I've always heard my mom growing up say that. Like somebody that we knew that we, you know, that was a good person or what we consider a good person. They get cancer and die and she would just shake her head and say, I don't understand why this person dies 
and Madonna is making millions of dollars. I've heard my mom, Madonna was one of her like, I've heard this. Why do good things happen to bad people? Right? Think about, um, just think about for me, one of those things that stood out was the whole Enron scandal, right? Or Madoff's another one, but Enron, right? Uh, If you remember that Enron situation, you have executives of a company who defraud people of hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And you've got Granny being interviewed on the TV talking about her retirement gone because someone defrauded her. And yet, because of legalities, these executives who did this are slapped on the wrist and go home and are able to retire with these golden parachutes of 10 and 12 million dollars. Right? And Granny's at home not knowing what in the world she's going to do. And if you're human, if there's any spark in you of goodness, you have asked the question, why does do good things happen to bad people? Correct? I don't think I'm alone in this. And I'm pretty sure that in these situations, not only does, as you can tell, I get just amped up talking about it, anger quickly comes to the surface. And then we begin to, as we process this, begin to think about two underlying questions, right? Is life really fair? This is not fair. So then is life really fair? And then you begin to process further and you think, well, God created life. So the deeper question to me is God not And that's what we want to talk about a little bit with the justice of God today. Is God fair? Is God fair? Or is he just? Would be another word that we would use. Is God just? Because all around us, bad things are happening to good people and good things are happening to bad people, right? I want to start by just helping you, or helping you. I was, that's not my, I'm not talking to preschoolers, I realize that. But reminding you of a biblical worldview. If you have your notes, which I really encourage you to take these notes with you. um, We think of the, the, the world through this lens, okay? We think of it that in Genesis 1 and 2, life with God was in a perfect world. Things were as they should be, right? In the beginning, God created Da-da-da-da-da. He saw that it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Adam and Eve, garden, good, 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 good. Fair, fair, just, just, wonderful. Genesis chapter 3, things take a turn, do they not? And from Genesis chapter 3 to the Revelation chapter 20, we see life in a fallen world. And guess where we live? We live between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 20. And all of a sudden, instead of good, 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 perfect, perfect, just, just, fair, fair, we wrestle with the questions we wrestle with, do we not? The biblical story, though, is that that is a parenthesis that actually in Revelation chapter 21, things are restored and renewed back to life in a perfect Okay, so that's the filter, the framework that a Christian lives with. That is the overview of how I would respond to someone. It's the best explanation that I have because it's a biblical explanation of what do I do with this broken, fallen world where, just to be quite honest, I could very easily say life is not The scriptures proclaim this, though. God is just. God is fair. But you live in a fallen world where his justice 
is not meted out in space-time history in a way that is corollary to the way we think it ought to be or when it should actually happen. Okay? So the Bible says, and I'm going to go through this very quickly because I think there's something I really want to sit on at the end of this. So would you just allow me to go very quickly? Anybody else, everybody, anybody else okay with me going very quickly? That's what I thought. I, 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 but I feel the weight of this sometimes, so I sit on things, and I'm just like, you just need to move on. They just need to read the Bible themselves or something, you know, which I think you are. But um, <clears throat> the overview is the Bible is saying, yes, 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 God is just. God is fair. World is broken, same thing happening. But you have to understand that God operates not in the time, space that we expect him to operate, but he is just, he is fair. So let me just breeze through this real fast. If you're opening up the scriptures and you want to see how God begins to reveal his justice, it, it's in things like this story with, with, Adam, uh, or with God and Abraham. Remember, Abraham's been called out. Uh, he's, he's, he's went and followed God. And we have this unique story where um, Abraham and his, his nephew Lot decide to part ways because Lot just wanted to, to separate. They couldn't coexist pretty much. And Lot sees this, this fertile ground that he wants, and Abraham says, take it, because God promised Abraham, everywhere you look, it's yours, so let him do whatever he wants. Lot does it, and you see the progression in Scripture where Lot begins to move closer and closer to these twin cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't need to even explain Sodom and Gomorrah to you, because I'm pretty sure everybody in here has, been, has heard reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. Cities of great wickedness and evil. And it's not long, and there's whole sermons in this, there's whole life principles for understanding for all of us to take heart and think about. But Lot begins to move that way, and ultimately he ends up in these cities, right? And God's wrath is boiling over at Sodom and Gomorrah, and he decides, I'm going to do something about this great wickedness. And he tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, whoa, 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 whoa. My, my nephew Lot's there. And we have this interplay between Abraham and God about sparing Lot as he destroys these cities. And 18 and 25 of Genesis says this. This is Abraham. Before the Old Testament was written, okay? This is before the law was given and God revealing himself in greater ways. Just something like this. Far be it from you to do such a thing. How could you kill the righteous with the wicked? Treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. While will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham, who is the friend of God in relationship with God, God has revealed himself to Abraham long before the, the children of Israel and the Old Testament law and all this. Abraham knows inherently one thing about God and God witnesses and testifies to this fact through his word that he inspired that yes, Abraham is asking the right question he is saying the right statement. How could God kill Lot, who is righteous, even though he's in a culture of unrighteousness? How could he kill Lot along with everybody else? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? How could you be God if you're unfair, right? Then you begin to look through the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are just full full of this idea that I think is encapsulated in this one psalm. Clouds and thick darkness surround God. Righteousness and justice, and these two are twins, they go together. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. God tells us about him. What you can know about me is that justice is central to who I am. It's the foundation of my throne. And then there are so many references beyond this that just talk about this over and over and over and over and over again. You cannot pick up the word of God and not walk away 
from having read through the Old Testament scriptures and realize that one thing God says about himself is that he is just. Okay? So God is saying unequivocally, I'm just. I'm fair. I'm fair. I'm just. There's a couple quotes from Tozier, one from J.I. Packer. I'll let you read those. Basically, basically at the heart of this concept of justice is this. Everyone gets what they really deserve. Are you still with me? Because you're not seeing that, right? You're not seeing that right now, but guess what? God being just means this. Everyone gets what they deserve. Everyone. Everyone gets what they really deserve. No one will ever get a raw deal. Now inside the parentheses we live in, in a fallen world, everyone is not going to get what they really deserve inside this parentheses of time. But, in the end, ultimately, everybody gets what they deserve. Are you with me? Somebody chuckled because they don't really believe it. Everybody gets what they deserve. That is at the heart of what it is to say God is just. Now he does this through, we see through scriptures through the natural world. Romans would say this, through the natural order is what what we're calling it. Romans would say this, the wrath of God is being revealed against from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since that what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The natural order that exists in this world screams that God is just. Why is that so? Because there is in this natural order of a world, there is so often this cause and effect relationship. And the way that we were created, you look at every tribe, every society in this world, and they will have a list of rules, will they not? Every society has a government. It's wrong to kill. Every society believes that. It's wrong to take another man's wife. The rules will change, but people have this internal sense of ought that they get. This is right and wrong. It changes for them what is right and wrong, but there is every society is built on this sense of ought. The way that we were created, the natural order of the world is this idea of there should be right, wrong, cause and effect, consequences after decision. God created this world in a sense where we just naturally gravitate toward this. And ungodly countries still have rules and laws and prisons and, 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 and jails and sentences because it built within us is this natural order of this ought, right? It ought to be this way. Uh, think about the Eastern religions, this whole idea. Their big thing is what? Karma. What's karma built on? One word, justice. Karma is built on justice. So even Eastern, all around us, because of God creating this natural order, is this idea of ought. In fact, it goes on, and it sees that the scriptures in Romans, he says, listen, these invisible qualities of his divine nature are apparent, and it flows out in this world, even this fallen, broken world. There's a sense of ought. Societies live with this sense of of ought, It should be this way. This is fair. This is right and wrong. And he says in Romans chapter 2, he continues and says, it's something that I've actually written on their heart, their conscience. And God reveals his justice through our consciences. It says this, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secret through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So God is not only the natural order of the world. There's just this, we gravitate toward this ought. 
he writes on our hearts through conscience and deepens that sense of ought. That's a whole other sermon about what can happen to conscience, right? But God gave, and a pure conscience was a way that God gave us to have this deep sense of ought. Right, wrong, fair, just. People's actions deserve either good, bad results, consequences. You continue to see that in Scripture, he reveals his role, the, the, the justice of God through his role as judge. As judge, I've just taken one of many scriptures, but in Hebrews, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is just one simple um, illustration of the idea that, listen, God is revealing himself as the judge of all. And if there is a sense of justice, therefore there is a judge. Judges only exist in systems where there is right, wrong, and the need for things to be meted out, right? There is no need for a judge if there is not a system of right and wrong, fair and just, good and bad consequences. You know, that's the only reason you have a judge. To make things what? Right, fair. And God is revealing himself as the judge of all people. You continue to look at scripture and you come smack dab to the whole theme of scripture. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he reveals his justice through the cross. Good grief. How in the world could we not understand that a perfect sinless son of God dies on a cross with understanding that God is just and that he believes in fair, right and wrong justice. Because his wrath was poured out on Jesus, the wrath that he had for the evil that existed, the wrong that existed in this world, in his just nature, something had to satisfy that. And he lays upon the innocent Jesus, the sins of all man. And God's justice is just wide openly revealed at the cross. Why would that have to happen unless God believed in justice and he was just? Here's where I want to land, though. God's justice has continued to be revealed through the promise of eternal retribution. And this is what I think for us today is most um, needed. Because everything I've said already, all of you are like, yeah, tell me something new, Chip. You're not. I get it. But I want you to understand that God's justice is so complete And it does not fail in any way. And you're saying, well, I know some of you, as soon as I said that everybody gets what they deserve, I could see it in your eyes. I didn't because I'm forgiven. I'm saying he's still just in what he did to Jesus who didn't deserve it. Right? But here's what I want us to understand about God's justice. Corinthians says this. The Apostle Paul is talking to a group of Christians, believers. There's division in the church, and he's explaining to them how spiritual growth occurs. And he's explained to them that his role is to plant. He was to plant, Apollos watered, and he wants them to understand that God only gives the increase. But the genuine, real implications of what is going on is there is going to be a future judgment for believers. Not a judgment for your sin. Not a judgment of whether you'll spend eternity with Christ or eternity apart from Christ. It is a judgment for believers on how they have lived their lives. Are you following me? God's justice is so complete that so often we stop at the fact, well, he laid on Jesus the sin of us all. He's still just, but I'm forgiven. And whoo, 
His justice is satisfied and I can still believe in the justice of God, be forgiven, and that's the end for me and it doesn't matter. But the nature and character of God, who's always fair, who's always right, who's always just, continues even into our life as believers. Listen to this. At the end of that judgment, is, there is called a bema seat, a judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where people will be rewarded for what they do in this life. Are you still with me? This bema seat is the idea in the Greek, it's not a tribunal or a court where you're determined guilty or innocent before a judge. It refers to Olympic Stadium, where, which was used, which was outside of Corinth, where winners were, were congratulated for the race that they had won. And they were rewarded according to the, light, the race that they had won, the finish they had achieved. And so... Paul begins this way. He says this, By the grace that has been given me, I laid a foundation as a wide builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone, talking to believers, if anyone builds this foundation, you gold, silver, uh, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a what? A reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though only is one escaping through the flames. Just as people are destined. Oh, okay, I kept reading, sorry. The idea here is that you and I, it's what Jesus was talking about when he gives a parable of the steward. It's the idea of scripture over and over and over that this idea that we get what we deserve because the justice of God is fair, right, and equitable still carries into the believer's life. And that's what you probably haven't heard for a while. But the way you live now with the stewardship of your time, your talents, and your treasure are still, are still something that God rewards in eternity. There, I've got a litany of spiritual or of scriptural references to this idea. But at the end of the day, we tend to think if we just get our ticket punched to heaven, it's all the same. It is not all the same. Now, all of us are going to be glad we got there. Amen? Amen. That's good enough. But the justice of God, his character, his quality, everything's right. You get what you deserve kind of idea is a part of who God is. And he even continues to reward believers based on their stewardship of their time, talent, and treasure. To me, this is just, God really is fair. Like he is completely fair. And if I as a believer decide to waste my time, talent, and treasure, I'll be rewarded for that. I'll get a participation trophy. I'll get participation recognition in heaven. But as a believer, if I take my time, talent, my treasure and I use it as the Holy Spirit is always prompting me, leading me, guiding me under his lordship, if I follow that, continue to live that out, to live in a way that is all in for the gospel, there is reward in heaven for that kind of life. Because God is just. He is fair. He, he does say, I mean, obviously, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, I'll just put it this way. In the first judgment, everyone is just, or everyone is judged, and it's based on faith. Did you have faith in Christ or did you not? That's the judgment, right? And that determines your eternal destination. But the second judgment, the, the Bema seat, is God's people 
based on their works. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You're not going to heaven by your works. You only go to heaven by your faith. But God is so just and fair, it's so key to his nature, that the talents and the gifts and the blessings that he distributes to his people, he still calls them to an account to live the way they're supposed to live, to not waste what they've been given, to live in such a way that they trust and live full speed for God, that there will come a judgment of their lives, their works for him, and their eternal rewards. I would tell you that it's a gray area what all that is. It's tough to teach on rewards in heaven. The Bible is clear about their existence, but not their substance. Um, What do they look like? How many do I have? Why do they matter? There's not a lot of biblical explanation about rewards. However, there is a concept of rewards that is impossible to skip in Scripture. Okay? And I share that with you today to remind you that how you live matters to God every day. Every day. And you're looking at a world where good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, and where is God? And, and okay, Chip, you can, you can bring me to this point where I realize I'm living in the parentheses, and that, but, but what about all this? And I'm telling you that not only will God make everything right, everything will be restored, every, everything will be brought to account, even the believer's life. That's how fair and just God is. He's never like, I'm this way with everything, and then once you're my children, like, I don't care. It's just core to who he is. And he's going to look at me, and he's going to say, Chip, I gave you all this. Well, some of you would. I'm not going to say that. That sounds really weird. I gave you talent. I got a talent. Okay, thank you. You might not think I do, but God gave me a talent. Because everybody, every believer gets a talent. I gave you this. I gave you time. I gave you treasure. What did you do with it? How did you handle it? Well done. And somehow we're rewarded in this new heaven and this new earth because God is always just and always fair. I don't know if that helps you, but that helps me a lot to just see how far-reaching this character, this nature of God. So how do I respond? I respond in this way. I choose to embrace Jesus today as my Savior rather than meet him one day as a righteous judge. Right? And that's the gospel. And that's the idea that I can't live my life my own way and get by with that. Can't live in my sin in front of a holy God and not one day face him. And I would rather choose to embrace him as savior now than face him as judge later. Right? Second thing, and this is the one that probably I should have spent the whole sermon on, but I'm not going to. You can relax. Refuse to take revenge when treated unjustly, knowing God and God alone is judge. This is what Romans says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's, a, if it's possible, if, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the rub where it is so hard for all of us. Refuse to take revenge. Why? Because God is going to avenge. And do I live every day truly believing that God is going to make all things right? And it's not my job. This is hard for me. You gotta understand my DNA. My wife's probably smiling right now. If we have a lineup of movies to watch, 
I'm going to gravitate toward the revenge movie. I love it. I feed on it. I'm invested in it. Yes. Vigilante justice kind of thing. I love those movies. Somebody's wrong and somebody does something about it. Hits them right in the mouth. Right? The other night, we were, we were going to go to a movie, and guess the one I wanted to go to? It was a revenge movie. And all the while, I'm like, Lord, why do I love this? <laughs> it's my fallen flesh. It's jumping out, and I just love it. God, help me to be an instrument of justice. <laughs> it's not right. I need to believe that God is going to Take care of everything. In fact, he says, do something completely otherworldly. Do a Jesus thing. Instead of repaying evil for evil, pay good. Heap coals, they used to do that in the, the old centuries. When they were wrong about something, they would take hot coals, put it in a pan, and go out in the streets just as a way to burn into their mind how wrong they were to change their mind. He says, if you'll do that, you'll be like heaping coals on somebody when they see like instead of punching them back like offer them a drink it's like that person who starts to encounter something that's so transformative it begins to wreck and mess with their fallen thinking refuse to take revenge now most of us aren't going to take revenge but we're going to think about it we're going to fantasize about revenge and we can't live out our fantasies, we're going to live with bitterness, resentment. And he's saying, just let that whole thing go. Forgive. Forgive is to loose. To loose. Would you let it go? And let God take care of it because God is so just that not only is he going to restore everything and everything is going to be made right, even the believer's lives, his own children's lives, he rewards according to their actions. That's how just and fair God is. He's going to take care of it. The last thing is to ponder deeply your time, your talents, and your treasure in view of the judgment seat of Christ and the injustices in our world. I finish with this video. I know it's kind of geared toward kids, but guess what? I resonate with this video, and I hope you do too. Have you ever felt like the world just isn't fair? <coughs> what do you have for me today, Allie? Like how come some people are so nice? and yet others can be so mean. Yep. The Hindenburg was originator ship. These aircraft had a metal skeleton and an oval shape. Some even enjoy causing trouble or being bullies. And it's almost like nobody else sees it. Could you pay attention, Ellie? Nobody wants to help. Why does it seem like good people get punished while bad people get away with it? Do you ever wonder whether God really cares? Is there anybody keeping track? <laughs> she did it! She knocked me down! No, she just... Straight to the principal's office, Ellie. But what if there really is someone watching over you? Someone who sees everything. Miss Hartley, she stole my lunch money. And while we were in the gym, she pushed me and it hurt my arm. It still hurts. God promises in the end, he will make all things right. He is always in the business of fixing things that don't make sense. Life is not always fair. 
but God is. It's one of the most important things you can ever know about Him. God is just. You're with us in the wilderness 
Father, as we go from this place, may we be more convinced every day that you're just, that your justice will reign always, that you will make everything that has been wrong right. And Lord, what you started as perfect will end as perfect. You are so just. And that we will not be able to look back at this world as eternity goes and say, God wasn't fair, but he made everything right, everything wrong. You even reward us as believers according to our actions. You're that just and fair. Lord, help us in this life. Continue to embrace you, to trust you, to refuse to take revenge but to always believe that you will avenge, you will make right. And then Lord, help us to live pondering how through the power of your Holy Spirit and as you prompt us and as you lead us through your word, how we can respond in ways that use the time and treasure and talents you've given to us in the ways that you call us to so that we can stand before a fair God and he will say, you know what? You strived to use what I gave you. Lord, thank you for your justice. We can rest that in all around us, a world that is unequal will not be forever. And that we get to participate and live in an eternal world, a new heaven and a new earth where things are right and fair and just. Thank you, Father, for the future, the preferred future that we have. Help us to hold on to that now in this broken and fallen world. In Jesus' name, amen.